0: Uh, center out there, and they've got information for you there. But um, I want to dive in this morning. At the beginning of the new year, we, we started a new series, and it's really rooted in two ideas. Um, first, it's rooted in the idea that there are, um, there are depths to this human life, that there are experiences that are rich and, and meaningful, and we are yet to experience them consistently. So this series is really rooted in this idea that that maybe we've had a few fleeting moments of depth or we've had a few fleeting moments of purpose or meaning or we've had very robust experiences, but they haven't lasted a very long time. And the desire of the human heart, I really believe this, desire of the human heart is that we live with more depth and we live with more meaning and we live with a deeper sense of purpose and a capacity to be more present with people. I think that's something that we all long for. And, And so we wanted to start this series this year with Um, Something that focused us and drove us into those depths. How can we actually get there? Which leads to the second idea that this is built on, and that's that there are pathways. There are avenues, there are rhythms of life that we can engage in that will lead us into this deeper kind of life. There is a way for us to get there. And so each week in this series, we're talking about these pathways that are centered on ways in which we can make it increasingly possible to follow Jesus. Um, Because that's the invitation of Jesus, by the way. Jesus, his invitation was really simple. He just said, follow me. Follow me. It's, it's not about believing certain things about him. That's called Christian belief. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is actually following Jesus. It means we do what Jesus did. It means we, we do what he says. We, we, we are who he would be in the world around us. We let him continue to lead our lives. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. But there's a problem with these pathways that we're looking at. And I want to address this. And you may have already experienced this. Every one of these pathways that we will talk about in this series is counterintuitive. Every one of them. Our nature, our intuition, even the way that our world is designed to operate, all of it is almost always the antithesis of what these practices are that we're talking about. Which means that without some direction, like a series like this, where we stop and say we better talk about this, and without some intentionality on our parts, we won't exercise these practices regularly enough to ever really live in the depths of this thing that we call life. For example, in week one, it was an online experience. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you because it's sort of the the cornerstone of this series. But we talked about listening. We talked about listening for the voice of Jesus. But listening in the world of noise and suggestion is really hard to do. Last week, we talked about beauty. But when life is flying by you, it's really hard to engage beauty as a pathway. And what we're talking about today is so counterintuitive that almost no one practices it. And yet, the one we're looking at today is actually one of the Ten Commandments, because today we're going to talk about the way of rest, the way of rest. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you stopped and you paid attention to your breathing? Like even right now, are you aware of your breathing? Do you remember the last time you stopped and you just became aware of your beating heart? Do you ever just slow down? Slow down and soak in what's going on around you. Do you ever just take time and say, I want to be present in this moment? If you're anything like me, it's been a while since we've done that. I want you to do me a favor. I want you right now just to take a really deep breath in. Just nice in through your nose. And then out. Let's do it again. Why is something as simple as taking a breath so refreshing? See, there's something about modern society that's become toxic, and I think we have to acknowledge this. Sure, we, can, we have lots of great conveniences and we can celebrate them. Um, no one's complaining about microwaves and automobiles, I don't think, right? But um, are we really better off because of things like smartphones and technology? And the question I'm saying is this, are our souls better off because of the conveniences? Our culture has more time-saving devices, more technological conveniences, more information sources than any point in human history. We live in this 24-7 world in which everything is available around the clock at the touch of a button. We have more information in our smartphones, more options at our disposal, and yet, We are horribly dissatisfied as people, and we're oddly disconnected. Could it be that in all of the chaos, in all of the rhythms of this success-oriented society, could it be that they have taken their toll on our minds, or our bodies, or even our souls? In the chaos of this sort of urban digital age, it... It seems easier than ever to experience the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. And I just sort of wonder is that the world that we're living in today? We have all these things available, but are we losing our souls? I mean, Maybe there's a connection between the amount of noise in our lives and our inability to hear God. I, I remember years ago, um, we used to live in Brooklyn. We, we backed up to the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. That is not a quiet road to live on. And I remember laying in bed at night. We'd have to open our windows to cool our apartment down. And I remember laying in bed at night, and I remember hearing the noise of the traffic. And it was so loud and so daunting that I would pretend it was the noise of a river just to try to get to sleep, but there aren't sirens and rivers, and so that would always wake me up. But there was so much noise, and I just sometimes wonder, like, if if God feels distant to us, maybe it's not because he's not talking to us, but simply we can't hear him over the roar of our daily lives. We have lives that are full of stuff and full of stimulus, and yet we have souls that feel strangely empty how do we stay emotionally and alive and how do we stay spiritually awake? Is there something in the way of Jesus that could set us up to thrive in the chaos and to actually overcome the busy or the the digital distraction or the noisy or this, this chaotic world that we live in? See, all of this reminds me of this um, great Jewish prophet Elijah, who, who'd been he'd been going and going and going, and he'd been running at this pace that some of us have run at before. You know what I'm talking about, right? And he finally gets to the end of his rope, and he's he's totally stressed he's totally fried, like the, the man is, is on the edge, and he doesn't even know if he wants to go on living, and God says, Elijah, I want you to go up on the mountain. I want you to go there, and I want you to wait for me, and I'm going to speak to you there, and so Elijah goes up. He, he goes up on this mountaintop, and as he's there, there's this massive wind that blows, and the wind is blowing, and it shakes the mountain violently, and he's listening in the wind. He's like, God, is this you? Are you trying to tell me something in the wind? And God is not in the wind, and then there's an earthquake. Wall he's on the mountain. The earth trembles and shakes, and he's like, God, are you in the earthquake? Is this you? Are you trying to tell me something through the earthquake? And there's nothing. He's literally like, God's voice is not in the earthquake. And then there's this fire that breaks loose, probably from some lightning storm, and, and there's a fire burning across, and he's looking at the fire and saying, God, is this you? And God's voice is not in the fire. And all of this, all of this comes back to this one moment when he hears what is referred to as the still Small voice of God. But what's really interesting is that there's this discussion in Jewish history about what exactly this voice is, because some people think that the actual Hebrew word doesn't even refer to a sound that you could hear with your ears. Like it's not even an audible noise, it can't be registered. And some translators translate the phrase that God was in the sound of silence he spoke in the silence god wasn't in the wind he wasn't in the earthquake he wasn't in the fire he was in the silence there's this moment when moses is leading the people of israel out of their bondage in, in Egypt. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27, we read these words. He gathers everyone together. And he says this, it says, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all of Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. Be silent and listen. the psalmist in Psalm chapter four, he says, when you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Before I moved to to Beaverton, uh, I had this old Ford truck. I just, I brought a picture of it um, because I love it and I miss it. And uh, it was actually Morgan's getaway vehicle for her wedding. She drove off in that when she got married. And uh, that old truck, uh, it had an AM radio in it, and that's all it had, and a speaker on the dash that was cracked, and it didn't make very good noise, and, uh, and, and I could barely tune in a station, but every now and then, there was this one AM country station that, of course, if you drive a truck like that, you listen to AM country, right? And so, But I got in the habit of just turning the stereo off, and I would just drive with nothing, with no Noise, nothing but the sound of the engine and the wind coming through the windows. And by the way, every time I did this, let me just say there was always an awkward moment. It still happens to me. There's an awkward moment where um, it's like I'm afraid to be alone with my own thoughts. It's interesting that when when you dive into the history of the way of Jesus, when you dig deeper into the lives of those who have come before us on this journey, there is this repeated theme People who really follow Jesus, they develop rhythms of silence and solitude. They even practice this thing that's referred to historically as the Sabbath. They rested and resisted the pressures of this 24-7 world, and they took time to enter into silence and experience solitude, to even create rhythms of Sabbath rest. See, in the beginning, and I, and I want to go all the way back to the Genesis poem. In Genesis chapter 1, there is this poetic rhythm to Genesis chapter 1, by the way. In the Hebrew language, it's actually written as a poem. It's this beautiful rhythmic thing. And, and it basically says, and you've maybe seen this before, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens. And then he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he said, let there be an expanse between the seas, and the earth rose up, and dry land appeared. And then he said, let the dry land sprout vegetation. Let it, let it have plants and trees, and, and let the waters swarm with living things, and let the skies be filled with birds, and let the earth bring forth creatures, livestock, and creeping things, and beasts, and then he says, and let us make man in our image. But then, by the seventh day, God had finished all the work that he had done, and on the seventh day, it says, he rests from all of his work. And then if you turn to chapter 2 in Genesis, you read something fascinating. Check this out. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, I want you to catch something here because I think this is really important for us to soak into our hearts. There's something here that is really powerful and really meaningful, and this week, uh, the last couple of days even, as I've just thought about this over and over, I've realized how much I resist and yet need to know what is being given us right here. The Genesis account tells us that God created humanity in a garden full of potential, Like, everything is there. The land is there. It's producing fruit. The animals are there. There's all these things that are there, and it's in this land of potential that God creates humanity, and yet their first day was not one of work. It was one of rest. Have you ever noticed that? The first day for humanity, God creates humanity, and he says, hey, why don't you guys just rest a little? In a garden that is full, he says rest. That's where the story begins for us. Sabbath may have been day seven in the creation story, but it was day one for humankind. We were intended to rest. And yet somehow along the way, we've lost this because rest is so counterintuitive in our culture. And yet humanity's first knowledge of God was that God rested and that they were to rest with him. God freely gave rest. I was thinking about that this week. I thought, you know, today, it's like you have to earn your vacation days, right? Well, you'll get three after you work here 10 years, right? But not with God, right? He just gives them to him. It's like, no, no, you don't have to work any length of time. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to move your hands or move your feet. You just get rest. So this idea of Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath is that we remind ourselves that we're not created to do, but simply be with God. I actually, this week, was thinking that this is almost the first picture of the gospel in the story of the Bible, because God's grace is given first, and then whatever we do after that comes out of a response to God's grace, not the other way around. We don't earn the rest. We just live out of that rest. We don't work to please God. We rest because God is already pleased with us. But this whole idea fights against the instinct within us that says, I am what I do. Um, my, My guess is that there are more than one of you right now That you're questioning the legitimacy of rest as a pathway to a deeper connection with God. And so I want to explain a couple of things. Um, There's this author, Judith Shulovitz. She wrote this article for the New York Times where she talked about, um, she was very open about her rebellion against her religious Jewish upbringing. Specifically, she rebelled against the detailed Sabbath observance of her youth. And then later in life, she began hitting a wall. And she writes this, she says, my mood would darken every weekend until Saturday. By afternoon, I would be unresponsive and morose. My normal leisure routines left me nonetheless feeling impossibly restless. Then I began to do something that as a teenager profoundly put off by her education, I could have never imagined wanting to do. I began dropping in at a nearby synagogue. And finally, I developed a theory for my condition. I was suffering from the lack of Sabbath rest. She goes on and says, there's ample evidence that our relationship to work is seriously out of whack. So let me argue on behalf of an institution that had kept workaholism in reasonable check for thousands and thousands of years. Mm, This is fascinating. You know what else is fascinating? Rest, specifically Sabbath, is one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Do you realize the significance of this? Basically that means that a culture that pushes people to overwork is as brutalizing and dark and dehumanizing as a culture that encourages stealing or adultery or killing. It's listed there. It's on the same list, which I know is hard for some of us to comprehend. And here's here's the reason we struggle with this. And there's a reason that this society has possibly produced more workaholics than any society in history. And, And first, it's technological. Um, I alluded to this earlier, and um, maybe I'm a bit of a ludite these days. I don't know. But um, when I mention all these conveniences, all of those conveniences in our life mean that our work is more accessible to us, and we are more accessible to our work than ever before. There is no escaping our work. There's never been more pressure put on our work. The pressure that we face today from, from trying to beat the competition to trying to beat the, the forecasters, the, the, analysis, the analysts that are forecasting our earnings, all these different things. We live in this domineering work environment where the pressure rarely lets up. But there's an even bigger reason in our culture See, in more traditional societies, we gained our identity and our value from being part of a family or being part of a community. Um, You found your value in being a daughter. You found your value in being a son or as a neighbor, as a friend, maybe just as a member of a group or a family. I'm a part of this. This is my, my clan. But as societies have become increasingly individualistic, things changed for us. Um, See, we have worked to free people from social roles so that they could be who they wanted to be. We've worked really hard for that. But this now means that you find your value or you find your identity in something that you earn. You have to achieve, you have to accomplish, you have to do something to feel valuable or meaningful in our culture. I want you to hear what I just said because some of you, you just heard that and you're like, well, yeah, that's just what, you have to do something to feel valuable or meaningful. That sentence might not strike you as odd or off because it's actually how we believe we're supposed to live. You have to get out there and do it. You gotta go prove something. Which means our relationship to work has changed. Your work is how you get value and worth or the money you earn or the social status that you obtain. And before you start thinking, I just wanna say this, before you start thinking that I'm judging you, let me just tell you, I'm not. I'm actually confessing to you Do you know how many times I've told people this? I just want to make a difference in the world, and it's actually a justification for my own workaholism. I'm trying to make a difference in the world, but at the same time, am I also trying to find a sense of identity or value or self-worth? Am I trying to prove something? I'm gonna confess to you that that's often a very blurry line for me, and here's the evidence. Um, I was due for a sabbatical. KJ, well, it was a, two years ago. You looked at me and said, actually, you told me you weren't gonna talk to me until I took one. So you broke that promise. But I was due almost two years ago for a sabbatical and our board, who KJ's on, they were encouraging me to take it for some really good reasons. But because we were just coming out of COVID and because of my tenure here being relatively short, I just rolled it into 2022. I said, I'll do it next year. I didn't do it next year, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I felt like it wasn't the right time this last year to do that, and so I was like, well, I'll do it in 2023, but as 2022 was coming to close, I started thinking, maybe I'll do it in 2024, <laughs> and I just kept pushing it off, pushing it off, and, uh, and our leadership team pushed back, and I recently relented, and I agreed that later this spring, early part of summer, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical, and, uh, and I'm going to confess this to you. I was distraught. I was distraught, and the day I made the decision and told our team, my stomach was in knots. I had butterflies, I was nervous, why? Well, could it be that I find my identity in what I do? I mean, as good as what I do might be, you might think, well, yeah, you got a great job, like, you, this is an amazing, it, it's still not okay for me to find my identity in my work. I mean, that, that rest might actually disrupt the illusion of control that I live with, like, that's a scary thing. And, and here's the irony. I'm just gonna share this. One of my predecessors here at B4 Church, Pastor Ron Mel, after years of overworking, he suffered a heart attack, a massive heart attack that nearly took his life. And he admitted that it was induced by his lack of rest as a pastor. And afterward, he confessed his rebellion against this pathway, and he writes this. I want to share this. He said, I'm not saying that everybody who ignores the Sabbath will get sick or have a heart attack, but I am saying that if you consistently dishonor the Sabbath principle in your life, somewhere along the line, the bills will come due. Things will begin to break down in your life. The breakdown may be physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, or marital. It turns out, resting has unbelievable benefits, when we practice the Sabbath, our whole lives change. We're able to sleep and not just catch up on sleep. We have more energy because of that. And we're more present with both the work that we're doing and the people that we're doing it with. We allow God to heal our, bo- our bodies and heal our busy minds and, and, and heal our stressed out relationships. The Sabbath is really important. And I know part of you think, maybe some of you are thinking, wait, is one day really that important? Like, is it, is it about the day Does the creator of the universe somehow like turn against us if we don't make Sunday special? You better make Sunday my day. Let me just say what Jesus said because Jesus helps us understand all these things. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for us. We weren't made for the Sabbath. In other words, God gave it as a gift to us and the point is that we take the time to rest. So if you go back to Genesis, God rested, he created and then he rested from his work. Now, I don't think God was tired. I don't think God was physically or emotionally worried. Like, man, that was a long several days making this place, right? So what does it mean that God rested from his work? If you go back to Genesis chapter two, verse two, you see God rested because he was satisfied. He was satisfied. He said it was good. He said it was finished. He said he was pleased with what he had done. And so he put the laptop away, right? He turned his phone off right? He'd been satisfied with what he'd done. So external rest, physical, emotional rest from your labor isn't all that you need. There's this this deep inner spiritual rest that we need in a regular rhythm. Let me just say this, no amount of vacation is going to cure your restlessness until you get this rhythm into your life. Most people think, oh, I'll just stop work for a week and somehow I'll be better for the next year. That's not how it works. The Sabbath is much more complicated, much deeper. It takes intentionality and it takes permission. So, I'm gonna do two things for you. First, I'm gonna give you permission. You have permission to rest. I know your boss isn't gonna tell you that today. (laughs) Your spouse may not even tell you that, but you have permission from God to rest. You have permission to rest. You're allowed to do that, okay? So don't feel guilty like I do when I do. We all, I'm telling myself this this morning, we have permission to rest. So I'm gonna give you permission, then I'm just gonna tell you what I do. Um, Because Sundays, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, they're probably not a real good day of rest for me. Um, But I do try to carve out 24 hours. I usually try to carve out Friday noon to Saturday noon. And I try to get some silence and some solitude. Just yesterday, I had a day at home all by myself with nothing but the rain, and it was just silent, And I I try to get away with God. And part of that time is spent doing things that fill me up um, spiritually and remind me of who God is. And some of that is, is doing things that fill me up physically, like going for a run in the woods or going for a walk. The point is that I turn off all the other noise. I quit checking the emails and I just tune in to what God is doing and saying. It's just this break from the rat race. And I remind myself of this. God is at work even when I'm not. And I can trust him in that. Jesus wants you and I to thrive, even in the middle of the chaos, this over busy, digitally distracted, noisy world. He says, there is a place in the middle of all this where you can hear me. And being with him, following him, means waiting for him to catch up to our busy souls. So we're gonna take some time right now to rest. And I'm gonna invite you right now to stand with me. And I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to take another really deep breath. And our team wrote a song this last few months specifically about rest and we're going to sing it together as a prayer that we would be men and women who would find the rest that is found in Jesus so let's sing together men and women who have the trust and the courage to rest. May you be reminded that on the first day, God made you to rest first, to be with him and for him to be with you. In Jesus name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Have an amazing week. Find some rest this week and we'll see you guys next Sunday. See you later.